Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today? I am good, certainly continuing to uh, pray for Israel mm-hmm. and everything that's going on there mm-hmm. uh, as that conflict seems to stretch out a little bit. Um, you know, I'll tell you, um, I think I saw you posted something the other day where, you know, what other nation would say, this is when we're going to attack, this is where we're going to attack, and we're going to give you enough time to get out, and you can go out by this road, and you will not be attacked if you are on this road. Um, and so that is, um, that's pretty remarkable. Um, but this past Sunday in Vespers, uh, some folks had asked me to kind of give a history of Israel and Gaza. And so we started about 4,000 years ago and worked our way to 2023, uh, because the history of that land is, is rich and, and certainly predates 4,000 years ago, but, um, it was, it was pretty interesting to see. Um, how that land has been, um, first of all, dear to God uh, and has been inhabited by God's people and um, has, has traded hands. And why is it such a big deal today? And what is the root of this conflict today? So if you were one of the folks who was at Vespers, I thought we had a wonderful experience. And then next week at prayer meeting, uh, we're going to focus a special time of prayer for Israel. And uh, you're going to help us lead that, right? Yeah, yeah so, I'm excited. Yeah. Thank you for that, and thank you for um, thank you for being a part of this body. And uh, that'll be a good time for us to focus together on um, prayer and and certainly praying for the peace of Jerusalem and and praying um, for everything that's going on there. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be on October the 25th at 6 p.m. in that's the right. Social Center here yes. at First Baptist. Um, yeah, I'm I'm just. You know, you just want to do something, you know, and yeah. and we praying individually is important and, and fasting is important, um, but there's just something when you can get together as a uh, a body of believers, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, it's important, and it, it's like you're talking about, it's important to pray for Israel, and, and like it'll, it'll, the post you referenced, you talking about that post from social media reminded me of Deuteronomy 4, so it's, it's Moses talking to the people, and he says, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us, where, whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? So, you know, it, the Jewish people are human beings. You yes. Know, individually, they make mistakes. Co- collectively, they can make mistakes. And, and you know, as a secular nation, the nation of Israel can make mistakes. Sure. But there's just such an incredible calling upon them that, you know, keeps bending toward righteousness and goodness because of this law that God gave to them. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, if you think about their calling for a second, just as the chosen people, it's not to make them, you know, special and holier than thou. Um, it's to make them set apart so that he can give them revelation that has been given to us and to the you know That's the whole right. world. That's right. Um, it's you can hear it. I, I get passionate about this issue because there's just so much there, and it's just such a it's such a uh, important thing to be praying for Israel right now. And 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 there's such there's such good people that are praying for them, and there's such good people that are there 
helping their fellow Israelis and and helping Palestinians in That's this right. com- conflict. That's exactly right. Um, helping get them medical supplies and stuff. It's just it's an incredible situation that you know. The more you look into it, the more you see. Uh, it's kind of like it's kind of like the Mister Rogers thing, right? Yeah. Like he he said that his mom always told him to look for the helpers in yes. times like this. Um, if you really look into the situation, you really see God's hand at work with people who know that you know God is God, and people who don't, but are still doing you know the right thing. And you see goodness coming into this world in this moment. That's right, and in a place that is is so densely populated, in a place that is inhabited by. Uh, members of the three monotheistic religions, um, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, uh, and all the the tension that can be there, one of the things that you see uh, is God intervening through his people. And uh, we have a lot of Christian missionaries on the ground. We have Christian missionaries currently in Gaza. We have Christian missionaries there uh, in southern Israel and all throughout the community. And they are seeking to lift up Jesus, and they are seeking to provide real and tangible help. And so we pray for for everyone who is involved. You know, um, when we just watch the news, it's real easy to see, oh, there are Arabs, and oh, there are Israelis, and they all hate each other. Mm. And that's not true. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been messaging with friends who live in Jerusalem. Um, one is an Israeli Jewish man who is a dear friend of mine. Um, one is an Arab Islamic man who is a dear friend of mine, and they are dear friends of each other. And uh, I wanted them to know we are praying for them, and we are praying for for all of the people who are affected by this. Because I'm going to tell you, Hamas, in, in an unprovoked way, attacked on a holiday. They knew exactly what they were doing. Um, they came and attacked innocents. They came and, and killed babies and elderly people and women and children. And it, it was just... It is demonic what they have perpetrated, and so uh, Israel has a right and responsibility as a sovereign nation to protect its people and to protect its its borders and all those sorts of things. Um, but but even beyond that, you're seeing just a terrorist organization um, who is who is doing unspeakable things, and Israel um, has to defend its people. And uh, I'm thankful that our nation is coming alongside them. And so, anyway, continue to pray, but we would love for you to join us next Wednesday, uh, October the 25th, for a time of special prayer and reading of the Psalms and um, just corporate prayer together. So come be a part of that at 6 p.m. Absolutely. So, Jeff, this past Sunday we talked about James, the brother of Jesus. So the scripture passage was 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Okay, so this is Paul talking, but yes. we're going to focus in on James here. So it this is James, the brother of Jesus. It, it's unclear when he decided that Jesus was the Messiah, but yes. it is clear that he was not a disciple for much of Jesus' earthly ministry. Right. So really the question is, do, do we know why James was selected to lead the believers in Jerusalem? 
you know, we, we default to the sovereign will of God. Um, <laughs> so, you know, beyond that, yes, we do have some indications, and you've done a great job of pulling together some sources of of church historians, church fathers who wrote very early uh, in the history of the Christian faith. This is not scripture. Uh, it's not on par with the Bible, but we do have some trustworthy sources um, uh, of church fathers who are reputable, who are believers, who are um, uh, committed to the, the message of the gospel and of Jesus Christ. And so we do have some indication. Scripturally, no, we don't. I do find it interesting that Paul mentions James specifically here, which is why out of all the passages that mention James, and there are many that I didn't get to on Sunday morning, um, but out of all the passages, I wanted us to see this because if there is a clue in Scripture as to why James became the leader of the Jerusalem church or how James went from scoffing at his brother and mocking his brother in John chapter 7, how he went from that uh, to a position of belief and then belief that was so ardent that it led him not only to accept this leadership role within the church at Jerusalem, what many scholars would say that he became an apostle uh, like the apostle Paul became an apostle because of the way that that uh, he's referenced in a couple of places in Scripture. Um, but nonetheless, he was a pillar within the church at Jerusalem, and he's the one who, who spoke, um, gave the verdict as to what the Gentiles had to do to become Christians. Did they have to fully become Jewish? Did they have to fully be circumcised and then uh, submit to all of Torah, or do they simply have to do certain things that are the biggies, and I think we'll talk about that with our listener question. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I wanted us to see that Jesus appeared to James because here's the thing: if he is an apostle, there is um, a requirement scripturally for being an apostle. All the people who are named apostles saw the risen Jesus. That's why I believe the the office of apostle is closed. Now, I think the gifting of apostleship is still prevalent, and that is providing leadership over regions of churches, but nobody is an apostle like unto Peter or Paul or, you know, right. the, the, the original apostles. But explicitly, the Bible says, Paul is writing as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, that Jesus appeared to James, and that was important enough for God to include it in the canon of Scripture, um, and that gives us some clues as to you know how James got um, went from well how James got transformed and went from unbelief to belief uh, and belief to the degree that ultimately he would lay down his life for the message of the gospel and and from an apologetic standpoint you know um, you could say skeptically. That, well, James was Jesus' brother, and he stood to gain a lot from Jesus' magnification, and that meant James' mag magnification and all those sorts of things. But, you know, the question that is, is well asked is, who dies for a lie? That if this is all just made up, who dies for a lie that they know is a lie? A lot of people die for lies. You know, there are Hamas fighters who died for the lie that, that they would gain somehow by killing people. Mm -hmm. Um but so a lot of people die for lies, but but who dies for a lie that they know is a lie? And so James ultimately laid down his life being stoned to death uh, in 62 AD. And 
That's how sincere his belief was, and that's how far his belief in his brother's messiahship took him. Yeah, so like you say, I have several sources from the church fathers. Like you're saying, they're they're not in the scriptures, they're not canonical, but they are helpful to us because these are very early people within the church who were leaders in the church who were very influential. So the sources that they're drawing from are also early and things that they thought were reputable to some degree. Okay, so I want to start off by reading from Jerome. So this is from Jerome's Lives of Illustrious Men. He quotes an ancient source called the Gospel of the Hebrews. It's not in the Bible, but it is a old source that's quoted several times throughout the church fathers. So they, they thought well of it, whatever it was. So Jerome writes, the Lord, uh, Jesus, appeared to James, for James had sworn that he would not eat bread from that hour at the Last Supper, in which he drank the cup of the Lord, until he should see him rising again from among those that sleep. And then the Lord said, Bring a table and bread. He brought bread and blessed and broke it, and gave it to James the just, and said to him, My brother, eat thy bread, for the Son of Man is risen from among those that sleep. Okay, so this could just be a fanciful imagination sure. based upon Paul's um, reference to James. But you see, you know, this element of uh, James being at the Last Supper is suggested in this, uh, you know, may or may not be true. You see that he was distraught that his brother died, but then also that he was fasting after his brother died. Um, so you get this incl- inclination that James, if he didn't believe in him, he had this this angst and this... Um, desire to make things right with his brother. Yeah. Um, so then that takes us into some sources from Eusebius, who wrote uh, History of the Church. It's a document that's massive. It's got tons of church history in it. It's yeah. really fascinating to go through uh, a lot of what he wrote. Um, he just writes a lot of complimentary things about James. But it's interesting because Eusebius quotes uh, another person who was earlier than him, so is Clement. So Eusebius writes in his History of the Church, and he's quoting an earlier source from Clement. He says, For they say that Peter and James and John, after the ascension of the Savior, as if also preferred by our Lord, strove not after honor, but chose James the Just, Bishop of Jerusalem. So in other words, there was this sense, according to Eusebius, that the the big three, so Peter, James, and John, mm-hmm. um, Peter and the sons of Zebedee, thought that Jesus wanted James, his brother, to be the leader in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Again, we don't exactly know why, but there does seem to be this sense in these sources and in other sources that James was actually a really wise person and a really, you know, really important person. And when he came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, he was the man to do this job. Yeah. Yeah, and you see scripturally, when we go back to the canon of scripture, you see that that Paul and Barnabas are— reporting to James. Mm-hmm. You see that Peter, when he is released from prison, he wants to tell James. He wants the, the message get gotten to James. And so James became an important person to whom pillars like Peter and Paul uh, wanted to be sure that he was receiving updates as to what was going on in their lives and ministries and the continuing work of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so um, James is a is is a central figure in the early church, and yet again, here's a reminder: when we get to glory, he's going to be there, mm-hmm. and we're going to get. I, I believe we'll get the opportunity to talk and learn, and 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 I'm 
so fascinated at the notion that we're going to be able to see not only the biblical narrative kind of in living color and how that all played out, and we're going to get to hear stories of uh, straight from the horse's mouth, as it were, about this is how this went, and this is what this was, and all those sorts of things, Um, but then to watch how church history has unfolded over the course of these past 2,000 years, there's been so much that happened, and those, those early believers... Uh, did not believe in a vacuum, and they did not believe in the southeastern United States and the Bible Belt and a church on every corner and all those sorts of things. I mean, you know, you think about the church at Jerusalem, it's at Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was a contested city 2,000 years ago, just as it's a contested city in 2023. And it was not easy to lead the movement of Christians that was called the church at Jerusalem. And God raised up James, the brother of Jesus, James the just, James who is described elsewhere, and I think you've got this in your notes, as as the skin of his knees looking like camel skin yeah. because he was so often in prayer. And uh, it's just phenomenal that... Uh, you know, first of all, if you're going to get a nickname, James the Just, I mean, how cool to be <laughs> Jeff the Just, Jordan the Just. No, they're just calling us Jeff and Jordan. Yeah. Um, but to to be able to live your faith out in such an impactful way, um, it was a big deal. But again, listeners, see that James did not come from a place of belief at the outset. You know, when Jesus was was in his early 30s, and he was ministering on the earth, there was a portion of that time, at the very least, in which James was not a believer. And James was saying that Jesus was out of his mind. And so you just never know what God's going to do with people, including people like you and people like me. Amen. You know, so you were were talking about how there's these things that we're going to ask in glory, and we're going to, you know, get all these answers to, and fill in all the all the gaps. And sure. I, you know, I'm right there with you. You know, and that's why I enjoy, you know, trying to study, you know, church fathers and you know Jewish sources, and try to fill in the gaps as best I can, or or take good guesses. You know, that's right. But that's right. But you know, we just don't know a lot of things. But it, you know, why uh, why are there stories like this where you know? Jesus appearing to James or Jesus appearing to 500 people at one time. Why are those only, you know, passing references in in the New Testament? That that's a great question and personally, you know, this is this is my thinking. This is not thus says the Lord. This is thus thinks Jeff kind of. <laughs> um <laughs> you know, I think that that where there are these these gaps in the narrative or these these mentions, like in Matthew's gospel, when Jesus dies on the cross and people are resurrected <laughs> from the grave and walking around, it's like, what? could you give us just yeah. a little more? I knew you, know? you were going to go there. That's <laughs> right, so, right where my mind went. <laughs> yeah. And and so then Jesus appearing to these people, you know, he's on earth 40 days as as, as the resurrected Savior and, and over 500 people see him and he cooks fish for breakfast on the side of the Sea of Galilee and, you know, just... He's, he's apparently walking into locked rooms, and there's no mention of him using a key to get in. So, you know, I, I think there's so much detail that, that we yearn for. And, and quite frankly, this is my resolution. Again, this is I'm not drawing this out of Scripture. I will say that Scripture tells us that the hidden things belong to the Lord and the revealed things belong to us and our children forever. Mm-hmm. And I think God was very intentional about revealing certain things to us and keeping other things mysterious to us. And I think the reason why 
is because it requires faith. I think it's the same reason God doesn't just say, okay, you've been saved today. Here's how the rest of your life goes. Hmm. We have to walk by faith. And I think God intentionally withholds some information, not to be cruel, not to be mean, but to say it's not about the information. It's about me. Follow me. You go back, it's the pattern that God has had throughout history. Go back to Abraham. Hmm. Follow me. That's, that's what he said. He, you know, he didn't say, well, here's the route we're going to take. He wasn't Siri. He wasn't you know, saying, turn here. He didn't give him the ways map with the traffic issues that lie ahead and take him on detours. He said, follow me. When, when he led the people of Israel out of slavery in yeah. Egypt, pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night, and God led the people until he had to come in behind the people to protect them from the the advancing Egyptian army. So the pattern that God has given is is he doesn't lay it all out before us. He says, come on, follow me. That's the way Jesus called the disciples, follow me. What are we going to do? I'm going to make you fishers of men. What in the world does that mean? I'm going to throw nets on people? What? You know, what? <laughs> um, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Um, Matthew, I mean, I can imagine, as analytical as Matthew's mind had to be, as evidenced by not only his job, but how analytically he wrote the gospel of Matthew. It's like, oh, here's this truth, and this was this happened to fulfill Scripture in this. I mean, Matthew's mind was phenomenal. I promise that there had to have been times when Matthew was like, okay, what's this look like? I mean, Matthew, if there is a type A person in the Bible, it's Matthew. Hmm. And I promise you, he was wondering, okay, what's the next step going to be? And what's this going to be? And what's this going to be? And we don't have any record of Jesus sitting down with Matthew and saying, well, well, here it is. And it's the same for us. Um, he doesn't give us the full revelation of what's coming next because we are called to fix our focus on Jesus and to follow him wherever he leads. And I think scripturally, um, you think about Thomas, your son's namesake. Um, Thomas, you, you believe because you see. Blessed are all those who have not seen and yet believe. And so I think, I think all that kind of combines to, to keep us walking by faith because that's the best way we can walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a great answer. I think it is important to talk for a second because I'm, I'm quoting a lot of extra biblical sources here. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, I think it's good to talk for a moment about how do we as disciples approach extra biblical sources? How do we approach, you know, church fathers, you know, things like that that we use to uh, inform us about the context maybe, maybe, you know, weigh some guesses, but, you know, keep them uh, weighed correctly? Yeah. Great question. I think the the answer in a word is carefully. Hmm. You know, when I come to Scripture— if there's something in the Bible, the 66 books of the Bible, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament, if I come to Scripture and there's something that makes me scratch my head, my position toward that is always, it's right, and I've got to figure out what that means. In other words, if, if, if something needs to be changed as a result of what I'm reading, it's not the text it's me, yeah. right? So, so that's how I approach Scripture, and I say, Lord, open me, open your Word to me, but open me to your Word. In other words, allow my sinfulness, my prejudices, my pridefulness, all the things that might cause me to doubt what you have revealed, 
take that away and allow me to approach your word in a position of openness so that you would change me by your true and living word. Now, when I approach extra biblical sources, whether they were published in 2023 or in 150 AD, I approach them with a a much greater degree of caution. And again, going back to those sources that that have been around for literal millennia, I'm going to look at what has been the general attitude of the church toward these sources and toward these authors over the course of a lot of years. And so I'm going to see what do, and and I'm going to use the phrase conservative theologians, and by conservative I mean those who believe the Bible is true, that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that God has spoken to us in His Word, God has revealed Himself to us through His Son, God has given us His Holy Spirit. I'm talking about people who believe the Bible to be the Bible. So I'm going to look at conservative sources and say, what have they said about this author and what this author has said throughout the ages? Um, That's going to be very helpful because if, you know, uh, if early trustworthy theologians didn't trust this individual, then I think that's great help that that I should not trust this individual. Mm -hmm. And then quite frankly, again, just as I say here on Sunday, I'm going to weigh everything they say against Scripture, just as I would encourage people to weigh everything that you and I might say against Scripture or any teacher in this church or any teacher in any church or any preacher anywhere, particularly when you turn on the TV to some of the channels that you have as part of your cable package, weigh what they say against Scripture. And if it's not there, and if it doesn't gel with the entire teaching of the entire counsel of the Word of God, then reject it. Mm. And so there there are some church fathers where you can take a lot and you can learn a lot, but then you got to leave some things too. Mm -hmm. And um, and then there are those that you just kind of got to reject them outright. You know, you think about the Gnostics and you mm. think about the Arian controversy and, and just all the various controversies that, that happened very early on. Um, you got to be very careful. So, so in a word, the answer is how do we approach these texts carefully, whether they were purported to have been published in the first or second century, or if they're published in the 21st century or anywhere in between. Thank you. That's very helpful. Uh, And I I think that that is very practical. Well, and even today, I mean, there have been sources over the last, well, let's say 10 years ago that I've, I've texted trusted theologians that I know about it. Hey, what about this source? Oh, this is great. Or, Oh, there's some problems here. Um, As a pastor, that's one of the things I do. People will bring me specific books and say, what about this book? I had somebody stop me after church the other day and say, what about this preacher? And, and I was able to say, everything I've heard, I, you know, I, don't, I haven't listened to everything he's ever said, but everything I've heard has been good. So again, weigh everything he says against the Word of God, just as I ask you to weigh everything I say against the Word of God. Um, but that's part of my role as as the under shepherd uh, under Jesus Christ of First Baptist Church is helping people say what sources are good and what sources are not good. Mm. Yeah, very practical, very practical. And speaking of practical, we're going to get even more practical with today's practical application question. 
where I'm going to make it even more practical. <laughs> <laughs> Practically speaking. You know. So, on, on Sunday, Jeff, you talked about Acts 15 uh, briefly, and you briefly mentioned that uh, James and the Jerusalem Council gave four directives for Gentiles. So, I, I want to ask about that. So, this is from Acts 15. This is uh, verses 28 and 29. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Okay, so Jeff, what are these directives for and do they apply to us today? So these directives were a summary of what was important. Again, the question being asked primarily was, do the Gentiles who convert have to be circumcised? Mm-hmm. Um, but the bigger question was, do the Gentiles who convert have to surrender themselves to the 613 laws of the Torah in order to then embrace the Jewish Messiah, who is Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Christ? And the answer that they came to was no. One, circumcision is not required. Um, but it wasn't prohibited. So like when Paul called Timothy, he took Timothy and had him circumcised because everywhere they went, they were going into a synagogue. And so the the, con- the contextual situation surrounding Timothy was, even though he did not need to be circumcised to be saved, the, the specific call on his life meant that he needed to be circumcised so that he could have a voice among the Jews to whom they were going in the synagogues where they were proclaiming Jesus Christ. So it wasn't mandated that they be circumcised, but it also wasn't prohibited. But what you have here is really a distillation of these are the things that, from a very practical perspective, you need to avoid as you trust and follow Jesus, who is the Jewish Messiah, who comes out of the background of all of these years of Judaism. So number one, the blood. You go to Leviticus chapter 17, the importance of the blood, the life is in the blood, avoid the blood. Now, here's a, here's a very important question, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be very honest with you. I, I, I seek to pattern my life after these four prohibitions. Mm. I don't eat blood. I don't, I don't drink blood. Um, you say, well, how do you eat your steak? I eat it medium rare, just like you should. Well, what about the blood on the plate? That's not blood on the plate. The FDA will not allow uh, the selling of meat with the blood in it in the United States of America. That is is protein water. It really is. I'm not. That's not a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, if you hunt, you know, I think it's important that you do not. You know, for me, I, I don't consume the blood um, because the life is in the blood, and for me, that is something that is that is my conscience wants me to maintain that. Uh, I think uh, the prohibition against sexual immorality is pretty straightforwardly um, kept throughout Scripture. Now, as far as eating things that have been devoted to idols, you can go to Romans and you can read what God says through the Apostle Paul about uh, eating meat that has been sacrificed to idols, and, and Paul makes it an issue of conscience there. So for me personally... I'm, I'm going to abstain from eating meat that has been sacrificed to idols. Um, and I think that uh, you you got to follow your conscience there. Um, now, if I'm in a situation where the greater good is found in consuming 
thereby not offending in an honor-shame society so that I have an avenue to share the gospel, then I'm not going to be bound that I'm going to somehow lose my salvation by eating that meat. And then, of course, the other thing um, is, is avoiding that which has been strangled. And I think that that's just a matter of respect. Um, you know, again, if you are, we're, we're, we are largely removed from um, getting our food. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no uh, there, there are kids today who believe that corn comes from the supermarket, right? <laughs> and so uh, we, we, there's a distance there. But, but some people um, like to participate in, in taking away that distance, shall we say. Um, and there's something I think that that is very good about that, and as long as it's done appropriately. But I think we honor God's creation, uh, even as we seek to consume that which He has given us for food. Uh, we honor the land. We honor, you know, we, we, there's an honor about that. So um, again, I think we take the teaching of the whole counsel of Scripture, and where certain things are addressed specifically, then. We take that specific uh, acknowledgement there. Um, and, and, you know, the Apostle Paul says, if eating meat causes my brother to stumble, then I'm, I'll never eat meat again. You know, I'm not going to do anything that causes my brother to stumble. Um, you know, it's the same thing as we talked about, and you very openly shared about that you're a Sabbatarian, and in your household, you you observe the Sabbath. But you've even said to me, you don't observe it in a way that you feel like you're earning your salvation by observing the Sabbath. And there right. are times when when you all, of necessity, break that observation. In other words, it's not something that you approach legalistically that you're somehow earning your salvation, but under the grace of God through Jesus Christ, you approach it in a way that this is this is worshipful and it is beneficial to our family. And as we celebrate different feasts and festivals that Jesus Himself celebrated, you know, it's not that we are dogmatically required to do that, but that it is it, it enriches our faith and our family. So we do these things, and so I, I think that's where we are. Yeah. So, for example, when you when you look at what God did with Peter in lowering down the sheet, you know, we were talking about a minute ago before we started recording. We we were talking about um, kosher and non kosher and eating sushi and you know eating bacon. You know, you can't eat bacon if you're if you're on a kosher diet. You yeah. can't eat uh, you can't eat shellfish, for example, and you can't eat catfish. And you know, the world is a better place when you can have some. Catfish wrapped in bacon, if you want, or even maybe shrimp wrapped in bacon would be a better thing. You know, they're good, but you know, it's it, God has given us that freedom. God has specifically addressed that thing. Now, oh, let's get into another huge conversation. What about <laughs> sexual immorality and all the various ways we can go with that? Well, the Bible's pretty clear. Jesus did not reverse any of those prohibitions, um, and so you say, well, Jesus didn't say anything about X or Y or Z. Well, that's because he was keeping it the way it is, mm-hmm. um, and the Bible's very clear that sexual immorality is something that we should all abstain from, and you say, well, what is sexual immorality? It, it, it's, it's any expression of sexuality outside the covenant relationship between husband and wife within the covenant of marriage and so 
You say, well, times have changed. Well, God's word has not changed, and Jesus did not specifically reverse any of those things. In, in fact, he, he strengthened the law, saying, you know, golly, if you're, if you're lusting after somebody, then you are committing adultery with that person in your heart. And so uh, the scripture is very clear that sexual immorality in all of its various forms um, dishonors God, but it's also uh, profoundly dishonoring to you. And so, again, that's, that's kind of where we are. We look at the whole counsel of scripture, what has God said? And, and what does that mean for us today? But I think that's a great question, and practically speaking, makes it very, very practical. Yeah. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for giving us uh, that insight, and thank you for your own personal uh, uh, practice that you told us about. Uh, that's very helpful. And listeners, if you have questions about uh, Acts 15 or about other things in the Bible, just go to the link in the show notes or comment on the post below so that we can answer your question during the show. Jeff, can you pray us out for today? Let's pray. Lord, you've called us to live out our faith, and that's a journey. Throughout the journey, you call us to live by faith. So help us to look to you. Help us to trust you enough to actually follow you, not just um, about the major things in our lives, but about all the things in our lives. Help us to be faithful to you. We can do that only by the presence and power of your Holy Spirit working within us. But we pray that by the presence and power of your Holy Spirit working within us, we would do what you would have us to do in the way in which you would have us to do it, all for your glory and the good of others around us. So, Lord, we love you. We trust you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley, and our editors are Chadwick Walden and Fu Ying Engdahl.